Section sixty to seventy of Barclay's Treatise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Section sixty to seventy of A Treatise Concerning the Principles of Human Knowledge, Part One. By George Barclay. 60. In the eleventh place, it will be demanded to what purpose serves that curious organization of plants, and the animal mechanism in the parts of animals? Might not vegetables grow, and shoot forth leaves of blossoms, and animals perform all their motions as well, without as with all that variety of internal parts, so elegantly contrived and put together, which, being ideas, have nothing powerful or operative in them, nor have any necessary connection with the effects ascribed to them? If it be a spirit that immediately produces every effect by fiat or act of his will, we must think all that is fine and artificial in the works, whether of man or nature, to be made in vain. By this doctrine, though an artist hath made the spring and wheels and every movement of a watch and adjusted them in such a manner as he knew would produce the motions he designed yet he must think all this done to no purpose and that it is an intelligence which directs the index and points to the hour of the day if so why may not the intelligence do it without his being at the pains of making the movements and putting them together why does not an empty case serve as well as another and how comes it to pass that whenever there is any fault in the going of a watch there is some corresponding disorder to be found in the movements which being mended by a skilful hand all is right again the like may be said of all the clockwork of nature great part whereof is so wonderfully fine and subtle as scarce to be discerned by the best microscope in short it will be asked how upon our principles any tolerable account can be given or any final cause assigned of an innumerable multitude of bodies and machines, framed with the most exquisite art, which in the common philosophy have very apposite use assigned them, and serve to explain abundance of phenomena. 61. To all which I answer first, that though there were some difficulties relating to the administration of providence, and the uses by it assigned to the several parts of nature, which I could not solve by the foregoing principles, Yet this objection could be of small weight against the truth and certainty of those things which may be proved a priori, with the utmost evidence and rigour of demonstration. Secondly, but neither are the received principles free from the like difficulties, for it may still be demanded to what end God should take those roundabout methods of effecting things by instruments and machines, which no one can deny might have been effected by the mere command of his will without all that apparatus, nay, if we narrowly consider it, we shall find the objection may be retorted with greater force on those who hold the existence of those machines without of mind, for it has been made evident that solidity, bulk, figure, motion, and the like have no activity or efficacy in them, so as to be capable of producing any one effect in nature. See section 25. Whoever, therefore, supposes them to exist, allowing the supposition possible, when they are not perceived, does it manifestly to no purpose, since the only use that is assigned to them, as they exist unperceived, is that they produce those perceivable effects which in truth cannot be ascribed to anything but spirit. 
62. But to come nigher the difficulty, it must be observed that though the fabrication of all those parts and organs be not absolutely necessary to the producing any effect, yet it is necessary to the producing of things in a constant regular way according to the laws of nature. There are certain general laws that run through the whole chain of natural effects. These are learned by the observation and study of nature, and are by men applied as well to the framing artificial things for the use and ornament of life as to the explaining various phenomena, which explication consists only in showing the conformity any particular phenomenon hath to the general laws of nature, or, which is the same thing, in discovering the uniformity there is in the production of natural effects, as will be evident to whoever shall attend to the several instances wherein philosophers pretend to account for appearances. That there is a great and conspicuous use in these regular constant methods of working observed by the supreme agent hath been shown in section 31, and it is no less visible that a particular size, figure, motion, and disposition of parts are necessary, though not absolutely, to the producing any effect, yet to the producing it according to the standard mechanical laws of nature. Thus, for instance, it cannot be denied that God, or the intelligence that sustains and rules the ordinary course of things, might, if he were minded to produce a miracle, cause all the motions on the dial plate of a watch, though nobody had ever made the movements and put them in it, but yet, if he will act agreeably to the rules of mechanism, by him for wise ends established and maintained in the creation, it is necessary that those actions of the watchmaker, whereby he makes the movements and rightly adjusts them, precede the production of the aforesaid motions, as also that any disorder in them be attended with the perception of some corresponding disorder in the movements, which being once corrected all is right again. 63. It may indeed on some occasions be necessary that the author of nature display his overruling power in producing some appearance out of the ordinary series of things. Such exceptions from the general rule of nature are proper to surprise and awe men into an acknowledgment of the divine being, but then they are to be used but seldom, otherwise there is a plain reason why they should fail of that effect. Besides, God seems to choose the convincing our reason of his attributes by the works of nature, which discover so much harmony and contrivance in their make, and are such plain indications of wisdom and beneficence in their author, rather than to astonish us into a belief of his being by anomalous and surprising events. 64. To set this matter in yet a clearer light, I shall observe that what has been objected in section 60 amounts in reality to no more than this. Ideas are not anyhow and at random produced, there being a certain order and connection between them, like to that of cause and effect. There are also several combinations of them made in a very regular and artificial manner, which seem like so many instruments in the hand of nature that, being hid as it were behind the scenes, have a secret operation in producing those appearances which are seen on the theatre of the world, being themselves discernible only to the curious eye of the philosopher. But, since one idea cannot be the cause of another, to what purpose is that connection? And, since those instruments, being barely inefficacious perceptions in the mind, are not subservient to the production of natural effects, it is demanded why they are made, or, in other words, what reason can be assigned why God should make us, upon a close inspection into his works, behold so great variety of ideas, so artfully laid together, and so much according to rule, it not being credible that he would be at the expense, if one may so speak, 
of all that art and regularity to no purpose. 65. To all which my answer is, first, that the connection of ideas does not imply the relation of cause and effect, but only of a mark or sign with a thing signified. The fire which I see is not the cause of the pain I suffer upon my approaching it, but the mark that forewarns me of it. In like manner, the noise that I hear is not the effect of this or that motion or collision of the ambient bodies, but the sign thereof. Secondly, the reason why ideas are formed into machines, that is, artificial and regular combinations, is the same with that for combining letters into words, that a few original ideas may be made to signify a great number of effects and actions. It is necessary they be variously combined together, and, to the end their use be permanent and universal, these combinations must be made by rule, and with wise contrivance. By this means abundance of information is conveyed unto us, concerning what we are to expect from such and such actions, and what methods are proper to be taken for the exciting such and such ideas, which in effect is all that I conceive to be distinctly meant when it is said that, by discerning a figure, texture, and mechanism of the inward parts of bodies, whether natural or artificial, we may attain to know the several uses and properties depending thereon, or the nature of the thing. 66. Hence it is evident that those things which, under the notion of a cause cooperating or concurring to the production of effects, are altogether inexplicable, and run us into great absurdities, may be very naturally explained, and have a proper and obvious use assigned to them, when they are considered only as marks or signs for our information. And it is the searching after, and endeavouring to understand those signs instituted by the author of nature, that ought to be the employment of the natural philosopher, and not the pretending to explain things by corporeal causes, which doctrine seems to have too much estranged the minds of men from that active principle, that supreme and wise spirit, in whom we live, move, and have our being. 67. In the twelfth place, it may perhaps be objected that, though it be clear from what has been said, that there can be no such thing as an inert, senseless, extended, solid, figured, movable substance existing without the mind, such as philosophers describe matter, yet, if any man shall leave out of his idea of matter the positive ideas of extension, figure, solidity, and motion, and say that he means only, by that word, an inert, senseless substance that exists without the mind or unperceived, which is the occasion of our ideas, or at the presence whereof God is pleased to excite ideas in us, it doth not appear but that matter taken in this sense may possibly exist. In answer to which I say, first, that it seems no less absurd to suppose a substance without accidents, than it is to suppose accidents without a substance. But secondly, though we should grant this unknown substance may possibly exist, yet where can it be supposed to be? That it exists not in the mind is agreed, that it exists not in a place is no less certain, since all place or extension exists only in the mind, as hath been already proved. It remains, therefore, that it exists nowhere at all. 68. Let us examine a little the description that is here given us of matter. It neither acts, nor perceives, nor is perceived, for this is all that is meant by saying it is an inert, senseless, unknown substance which is a definition entirely made up of negatives, excepting only the relative notion of its standing under or supporting. But then it must be observed that it supports nothing at all, 
and how nearly this comes to the description of a non-entity i desire may be considered but say you it is the unknown occasion at the presence of which ideas are excited in us by the will of god now i would fain know how any thing can be present to us which is neither perceivable by sense nor reflection nor capable of producing any idea in our minds nor is at all extended nor hath any form nor exists in any place the words to be present when thus applied must needs be taken in some abstract and strange meaning and which i am not able to comprehend sixty nine again let us examine what is meant by occasion so far as i can gather from the common use of language that word signifies either the agent which produces any effect or else something that is observed to accompany or go before it in the ordinary course of things but when it is applied to matter as above described it can be taken in neither of those senses for matter is said to be passive and inert and so cannot be an agent or efficient cause it is also unperceivable as being devoid of all sensible qualities and so cannot be the occasion of our perceptions in the latter sense as when the burning my finger is said to be the occasion of the pain that attends it what therefore can be meant by calling matter an occasion the term is either used in no sense at all or else in some very distant from its received signification seventy you will perhaps say that matter though it be not perceived by us is nevertheless perceived by god to whom it is the occasion of exciting ideas in our minds for say you since we observe our sensations to be imprinted in an orderly and constant manner it is but reasonable to suppose there are certain constant and regular occasions of their being produced that is to say that there are certain permanent and distinct parcels of matter corresponding to our ideas which though they do not excite them in our minds or anywise immediately affect us as being altogether passive and unperceivable to us they are nevertheless to god by whom they are perceived as it were so many occasions to remind him when and what ideas to imprint on our minds that so things may go on in a constant uniform manner end of section sixty to seventy recording by geoffrey edwards